We will not be doing a verse-by-verse exposition of this, otherwise we would be here for a few days. Um, I am going to focus on a particular part of it, but I do want to read the whole part of the story. So Acts 25, uh, starting in verse 13, hear now God's word. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Uh, When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction or death before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charges against him. Therefore, when they had come together, without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters, but when Paul appealed to reserve, to be uh, reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, uh, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had uh, committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him, therefore I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I might have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered him for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews." especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the uh, strictest of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain, uh, that, that they hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be, be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. 
In other words, he tortured them. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And thus far, the reading of God's Word and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This will be the third time that Paul offers a defense of himself and the gospel. The first was with Felix, that was two years earlier. Remember, he'd been held in prison for two years, then before Festus in Acts 25, and now Paul will make another defense before King Agrippa II. So this is King Herod Agrippa II. The Herodians were the last dynasty of independent Judea. The Herodian dynasty is named after Herod the Great, who was recognized as king of the Jews by the Romans in 40 B.C. And he continued to rule until 4 B.C. And in uh, in these years, he created a powerful kingdom with Caesarea and Jerusalem as capitals, And then after his death, his kingdom was divided among his sons, and a tetrarchy was created. And so in these years, um, 
so, excuse me, um, we discussed this interesting connection a couple of years ago when I preached through that uh, single chapter book of the Old Testament, Obadiah, uh, because we see this interesting thing. First, we have the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. That will unfold by their descendants becoming the two cities of Judah and Edom. That's, those are the two cities in the book of Obadiah that are in conflict. And later we have the master story of Jesus. Jesus is a descendant of Judah, and King Herod is a descendant of the Edomites. So you remember, so you have this conflict, Jacob and Esau, conflict with Judah and Edom, uh, and, and now this conflict between Jesus and Herod. So Herod the Great um, takes, uh, tried to take down Jesus when he was born. You remember he had all the baby boys killed. His son, Herod Antipas, was an Edomite and a half-Jew, and he ruled, you'll remember, during the reign of John the Baptist. He's the one that has John's head lopped off. And his son, King Agrippa I, you'll recall we ran into him in Acts chapter 12, where you remember this happened, and the people kept shouting about Herod, the voice of a god and not a man. Verse 23, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Now, Herod Agrippa II uh, we see in Acts 25 and 26, which we just read, he is the son of Herod Agrippa I, the one that was eaten by worms, and he is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. So we've had four generations of Herods, and Bernice, who we'll mention more about later, is his sister. Now, due to the length of this text and the fact that this is the third time Paul has made his defense I'm going to focus on just a few aspects of this passage and draw out some evangelistic application because I am burdened today that there could be some, young and or old, who are present with us today who might fall short of the grace of God. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And so here's what we're going to do right now. We are going to pray. So if you'd bow your heads. I want you to pray for those in your family and for others in this room for whom you have any concerns regarding their hearts for the Lord. Perhaps you hear lip service or see a lukewarm attitude in them toward the things of God. And then I have one more thing I'd like you to pray for, perhaps. I want some of you to pray that God would open your own ears, your own eyes, and your own hearts in a way that hasn't happened before. Amen. Because if there is one person here that doesn't know the Lord, there might be more than one, but if there is only one, then it is worth you hearing this message today. 
And I think if you're a believer, you will be encouraged by this message of Paul today. And of course, church is primarily our coming together as believers to sit under the Word of God, but we also recognize that God in His providence puts among us others who need to hear. And so I'm speaking to some here who might not have ever been baptized or received the Lord, but I'm also speaking to some who may have been baptized, but who still don't know the Lord. The Lord gave the Apostle Paul many opportunities to address courts and priests and governors and kings. Jesus had told his disciples in Luke 12, Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and to the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. It's not often that such circumstances present themselves, but when this happens... God is showing these dignitaries a great mercy since they get to hear the gospel. Hugh Latimer, who was chaplain to Edward VI, once preached before Henry VIII, and the king was not happy with the boldness that he expressed in that sermon, and so he ordered that Latimer be asked to preach again on the following Sunday and to apologize for the offense that he had given The next Sunday, after reading his text, Latimer began his sermon with this. Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you are speaking before the high and mighty King Henry VIII, who has power to command you to be sent to prison, and who can have your head cut off if it pleases him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend royal ears? He then paused and continued, Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand, before him to whom one day you will have to give an account yourself? Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all the word of God. By the way, Queen Mary will burn Latimer at the stake. Not that Agrippa, King Agrippa appreciated the privilege that he was being granted to hear the gospel presented by the great apostle Paul himself. Nevertheless, this was a great opportunity. Paul will later write to Timothy and say, I exhort first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Like the rich, people who occupy high places have many temptations and they often assume themselves to be self-sufficient. Therefore, it is difficult for such men and such women to enter the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Nevertheless, Paul presents us with an excellent example of how to make the most of such opportunities. He is both bold and respectful, he is substantive, and he's full of grace. Clearly, both Festus and Agrippa recognize that Paul is a very well-educated man. Moreover, Paul knew how to adapt his message to his audience and how to become all things to all men. 
Paul will fall short of persuading Herod Agrippa, but I can only hope that he does not fall short of persuading you. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, For you see, your calling, brethren, not that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to be put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. So while Paul was no doubt an impressive scholar and teacher, nevertheless, that was not what he was relying on. As he wrote to the Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing, uh, to know to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. To be or not to be, that was Paul's great question and that's an enormous, there's an enormous difference between being almost a Christian and being almost persuaded to be a Christian because there are no almost Christians. But there are some who are almost persuaded to be Christians. You see, some people are Christian in name only. Perhaps some in this room today, but that's trying to be almost Christian, which is to be no Christian at all. Like Herod Agrippa, there may be many who grow up religious. You even know the Bible. They're baptized, attend church. They know the traditions. In fact, Paul described Herod this way in verse 3 of chapter 26. Herod, you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Oh, but there's so much more. In verse 18, Paul gives a definition of a genuine Christian, where he quotes the very words that Jesus spoke to him on the road to Damascus. Jesus said that Paul was being sent to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Herein we have a five-fold description of a true Christian. And I want to ask you, does this describe you? First, a Christian is one who has had their eyes open and who has been turned from darkness to light. They have ears to hear. They have eyes to see. They perceive their sins. They perceive their need for a Savior. His knowledge isn't superficial. It's internal. It's a matter of the heart. He, he now knows truly what he only knew intellectually or theoretically before. Second, the true Christian has turned from the power of Satan unto God. This repentance is an emancipation from sin. And like Paul on the road to Damascus, there is a reversal of course. There is a dramatic change of thought, a dramatic change of language and behavior. 
Third, a true Christian has received the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. Since your sins are your are the problem, they must be remitted or removed or else you are a dead man walking. The pardon of your sins is the best news. That is the gospel. Fourth, there is only one way to be a true Christian, and Jesus says that that is by faith in Him. Faith in the crucified and risen Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, Jesus said, but by me. And fifth, the true Christian is a man who is sanctified, that is, set apart, a a holy man, a sin-hating man, one who loves the commandments of God and counts it his pleasure to be obedient to them. And this is what Paul was seeking to persuade Agrippa to. And that's what I want to be sure that you have been persuaded to be. Because such a person has salvation, because to be almost persuaded is to fall completely short. This is how Paul sought to persuade Agrippa and others who were present. He made constant appeal to the Scripture. He insisted that he only spoke what Moses and the prophets wrote, and only what the twelve tribes were looking for. And the question for Agrippa was, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the Bible? And I ask you, do you believe the Bible to be true? Some of you have heard the Bible since your birth, and as Paul reminded Timothy, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But the seed of the Word of God has been sown in your hearts. The only question now, and this was amazing to me when I first saw it some years ago, what kind of hearts do you have? And Jesus explained his parable of the sower and the seed in this way, in Luke chapter 8, 11 through 15. Now this, now the parable is this. Jesus is going to explain it. The seed is the word of God. So Herod's heard the Bible. He's heard the prophets. You've heard the Bible. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock, those uh, uh, rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. And then this was the shocking verse, verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, kept it and bear fruit with patience. Now, part of the witnessing of every Christian should include their speaking about their personal testimony as to what Christ has done for them, and that's what Paul is going to do. I grew up in a Christian family and went to church every Sunday, but by the time I was a teenager, I was more than flirting with the world and living a life that denied my youthful baptism. 
we should remember that Paul had been circumcised on the eighth day. But he was headed to Damascus to do his dirty deeds when Jesus arrested him. Well, Jesus arrested me too. And some of you need to be arrested. My darkness was turned to light at age 17. It was abrupt. It was dramatic. Like Spurgeon said of his own conversion, I too can say that when I finally trusted in Jesus Christ, it totally changed me so that I hardly knew my former self. And Paul was not alone, and I am not alone uh, in this testimony of the power of the gospel to transform lives. There are trophies of his grace throughout history. And there are many trophies of his grace sitting all around you right now. But some, like Herod Agrippa, sit here week after week, almost persuaded to be a Christian, but not quite. Then Paul offers a condensed statement about the gospel in verses 22 and 23. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both the small and great, in other words, important and unimportant people, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he'd be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Festus interrupted him and basically said, Paul, you are talking crazy talk. You've gone mad. You have lost your mind. The Greek word here is the word that we get our word maniac from. I suspect part of this has to do with the passion that Paul was expressing these things in. He wasn't, uh, this was more than an academic presentation. They knew he was a learned man. But he really believes that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's true, if that's true, then everything changes. And Paul replies, I'm not mad, I'm not crazy, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. You see, truth is bigger than religion. Many claim they're not religious, but they are. But being religious has never been enough. Truth is truth whether you're persuaded or not. Then Paul appeals wisely to King Agrippa. Verse 26 and 27. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing, that is the resurrection of Jesus, 
was not done in a corner. And we've got 20-something years here in the history of Acts so far. There's a lot gone on, both in Jerusalem and all around. That's why Paul is such a big deal to the Jews. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And so the manifestation of the Son of God was a public matter. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then the Twelve, and after that seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. This is not, this, the Christian faith is not simply a private and personal matter. Christian faith is public. The world is happy for you to have a private Jesus. But what he may not be is king of kings. Think of these words of Jesus, Luke 9. If anyone desires to come after me, to be a follower of me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world? and is himself destroyed or lost. For whatever, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and the holy angels. Surely Agrippa knew quite a bit about Jesus given his family history. And I ask you, as Paul asked Agrippa, do you believe the Bible? Everything is riding on how you answer that question. It seems that Agrippa must have shifted in his seat, and he says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Again, the key word in that sentence is almost. Almost is one of the most tragic words. Almost a Christian, but not quite. Like the most famous atheist of the 20th century, Anthony Flew, who died at age 87, he too said he was almost persuaded. He wrote a book three years before he died. He had written a book saying, a book that uh, was titled, There Is No God, and this book was titled, There Is a God. Here's what he said, My current position, however, is more open to at least certain of the claims. In point of fact, I think that the Christian religion is the one religion that most clearly deserves to be honored and respected, whether or not its claim to be divine revelation is true. There is nothing like the combination of a charismatic figure like Jesus and a first-class intellectual like St. Paul. Virtually 
All the argument about the content of the religion was produced by St. Paul, who had a brilliant philosophical mind and could both speak and write in all the relevant languages. If you are wanting omnipotence to set up a religion, this is the one to beat. So the preacher of the gospel must bring the claims of Jesus to bear on the heart. And when he does... There comes the moment of either submission or evasion. Bowing or running. Of course, what Paul desired for Agrippa and for all those who were present that day and what I desire for you is what Paul declared in verse 29. I would to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except without the chains. Paul wants to see the genuine wholehearted embracing of Jesus as the Savior of men so that Agrippa might be all in like Paul. That is, relying completely upon Christ's righteousness and living for Christ's glory. So I ask this question, did Paul succeed? Festus was practical, practical, and he dismissed Paul with a kind of a backhanded compliment. Much, Much learning has driven you mad. You see, Festus saw himself as a realist who lives in the real world. Unlike Paul, who, in the estimation of Festus, was a bit too religious. You see, he understood time is everything, and eternity is nothing. Herod, however, seemed to listen attentively. He came from a family that, with all their terrible vices, had, on more than one occasion, trembled before the voice of prophecy and Scripture, and like the Herod who had heard John gladly, He listened with great attention and interest to the Apostle Paul. Maybe Paul is on to something. But still, Agrippa was a high-minded man who wasn't really teachable because he wasn't really humble. He falls just short. He is almost persuaded, but not quite. And so Agrippa is no Christian at all. And we can only speculate about what happened in that courtroom. But like Paul's sermon at the Areopagus at Athens in Acts chapter 17, do you remember what was recorded by Luke on that occasion after he spoke at that great assembly? Acts 17, 32 through 34, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, boy, what an important however. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. There were many others in the courtroom that day, other than Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice. As 25-23 told us, that when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, that they entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city. This is a courtroom. 
No doubt many servants were present as well. Maybe someone on the back seat was moved to believe. Perhaps like Lydia, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. The Lord opened opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Paul was sowing the seed. Perhaps others would water that later, but God gave the increase because His Word never goes out in vain. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so where do you find yourself in this story? Why wasn't Agrippa fully persuaded to become a Christian? Perhaps the answer was sitting next to him. Bernice. Bernice was Agrippa's sister, and there were many unsavory rumors about her, including an accusation that she and Agrippa were in an incestuous relationship. Agrippa and some of you are not persuaded to be true Christians because of your own hearts. There's no flaw in the argument. There's a flaw in you. You're on a mission to evade the truth. You see, Paul was in one kind of chains, but Agrippa was in another kind of chains that were far worse. And so I'll close with this thought. Imagine that you had a terminal illness and you heard of a remedy and you were almost persuaded to take it. But you didn't. Your hunger cannot be satisfied by almost eating. Your thirst cannot be quenched by almost drinking. To be almost persuaded to be a Christian will result in being completely lost. If Jesus is who Paul says he is, then he's everything. Father, we thank you for the record of this event, of this testimony, of this strong proclamation of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, of the forgiveness of sins, of the offer of salvation by faith alone in Christ. I pray, Father, for any in this room today who don't know for sure, who waffle, who play around the edges, who are almost persuaded to be all in, but not quite. Lord, be at work in those hearts that we prayed for earlier in this service. Don't leave them alone. Don't let them exit. Don't let them run. Don't let them change the subject. But I pray that you would arrest them in your mercy and in your kindness, that they might be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason most sinners resist the gospel is because they love their sins. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The sinner is always prejudiced toward his sins, and he doesn't want to loosen his grip. The Puritans sometimes would refer to these as darling sins, things you just don't want to let go of. 
Charles Spurgeon commented on the text that we looked at today. He said, evil company, he's talking about Agrippa and Bernice here, evil company is one of Satan's great nets in which he holds his birds until the time shall come for their destruction. How many would gladly escape, but they are afraid of those around them who they count on to be good friends and whose company has become necessary for their amusement. Oh, you know it. Some of you, you know it. You have often trembled while I've told you of your sins and of the wrath to come, but you have met your bad companion at the door, or you have gone home and attended parties and to have fun, and every godly thought has been quenched, and you've gone back like a dog to his vomit and like a sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Ah, you Agrippas, you Bernices, will you... Uh, you Bernices, let me back up. Ah, you Agrippas, your Bernices will lead you down to hell. But if Agrippa has his Bernice, Bernice has her Agrippa. And so men and women become mutual destroyers. The daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam assist each other in choosing their own delusions. Jesus invites you to come. So as we come to the table, I thank you, Jesus said, as he prays in Matthew 11, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Father, what a privilege it is that we come together in your name. We bear your name, we proclaim your name, for indeed it is at your name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord, give us that boldness to go forth today without fear. Give us faith, give us courage, give us opportunity that we might share the good news, that we might be light in this dark world. Go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the benediction of the Lord. Humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due, not due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. Amen.